All right, young people, you are dismissed. And uh, make your way quietly, if you will, to your junior church time. I'm glad that you're here today. And uh, let me say this, for the junior church workers, if you finish just a little bit before we are, you're more than welcome to take them over and start getting them hot dogs, all right? So go ahead and get them started. They, they look hungry already. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter, I found the best way to quiet a kid down is put a hot dog in their mouth, amen? Oh, you got it all right. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I want to preach a message today with God's help. It all started with a lie. It all started with a lie. Genesis chapter 3 this morning. I want to encourage you today. You know, we, uh, we have several visitors here. We're so thankful for the guests that have joined us. But maybe you worked really hard and invited a lot of people and nobody came I want to encourage you. The Bible says, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. And here's what you did this week. If you invited somebody to come to our church, you told them that you loved them. That's what you did. And you invited them and said, I, you know, I know Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to come to my church and hear a gospel message. And so in the very least, you planted a seed. And you just keep praying about those folks and encouraging those folks. And be encouraged that, you, listen, you will not be judged. You will not be judged if somebody didn't come to church, but we will be judged if we don't tell others about Jesus. And so that's our, that's our goal. That's our job is to do that. And so let me encourage you, just be not weary and well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if you faint not. For those of you that have guests here today, thank you so much. I want to encourage you, would you introduce them to me after the service? If I haven't met them yet, I'd like to meet them. And uh, we'll be over walking around having a hamburg and, and a hot dog. I'll be the guy with the massive potato salad on my plate if you're looking for me, all right? And uh, we'll, we'll be over there, but we'll have a good time. And I want, to, I want to meet you. And if we can encourage you in any way, please let us know if you have any needs. Please let us know. We want to be here as a church to help and, and be a blessing to you. Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Genesis chapter 3, we read the story of the fall of man. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. There's the lie. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes... And a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we need your help today. We pray, Lord, that the message of the gospel will go forth clearly. Some here today may be already wondering, we're not in the gospels. We're not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're not reading about Jesus Christ. Lord, I believe that the seed of the gospel was planted way back in Genesis 3. 
That God had a plan to redeem mankind from their sin. I pray that you'd help us to see how it all started with a lie. Lord, that man began to cascade out of control. That sin became the norm in the world. And Father, we needed so desperately a Savior to redeem us. Father, I need your help and I ask for the filling of your Holy Spirit. I pray that a quiet hush would fall upon our hearts, that we would give heed to the Word of God, that we'd pay attention. Let nothing hinder us. Father, we'll thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a lot of big questions in life, and sometimes we have answers to them, and sometimes we just don't. I don't have all the answers to everything that happened in the Bible. Sometimes somebody will come and say, ask, ask me some, some random question of something that happened in the Bible, some obscure verse. What do you think happened there, preacher? And I'll say, I don't know. It's one of those things I just have to trust the Lord about. It's one of those things I'll even research and try to look up. And if I look at five different, uh, different preachers or different commentaries, I'll get five different answers. There's a lot of things we cannot be dogmatic about and we don't have all the answers. I get questions from time to time like, what is the source or the beginning of life? Where did this all come from? And of course, we have some differing theories in the world, but I want to direct you to the Bible. The Bible has the answer for that right here in Genesis. The word Genesis means beginnings. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I was thinking about just, I was going over my message a little bit in my mind while I was up here this morning, and and I'm thinking about this idea of Genesis and the beginnings, and I looked at these children, and I thought, they just went back to a school this week that tells them millions and millions and millions of years, and no God. But I believe in God. And I believe in the beginning, God created. That is the Genesis account. That is the beginning. And so the answer to the source of life is God. You say, how did he breathe into that dust? And how did he form that clay? And how did he take that rib and make a woman? I don't have all the answers. I've been, I've been asking God. I said, one day when we get to heaven, can we have a big movie screen? Can we roll back 6,000 years and see all these Bible stories as they happened? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But for today, we trust God. Sometimes I'm asked the question, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? Again, the answer is found in the Bible. We find that God created us to have eternal fellowship with him and to enjoy him forever. Maybe today you were in the service and you said, oh, my heart was lifted by the music. We had a fellow that came to our church several years ago, and he, he'd sit in the back row, and he said, I don't know. He said, I've been to different churches searching, and he says, I just, I just feel like when, when the choir sings or the ensemble sings or we sing those songs out of, out of the hymn book, he says, I just feel like I'm, I'm going to lift right out of my chair. He says, there's just something that, that stirs within me. He, he didn't understand how to put it into words, but that's the very Spirit of God speaking to us. And, and if we can enjoy God like that today, can you imagine heaven? We are created to enjoy him forever. Another question I hear often is what happens when we die? What happens when somebody dies? We have had a lot of death lately in the church. A lot of people facing these questions. And this I know that the Bible is very plain. God's message to man is very clear to everyone. Everyone will spend eternity somewhere. In heaven, a place of paradise prepared for those that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and have been forgiven of their sins, and a place 
of eternal punishment out of the presence of God called hell. There's only one of two places when we die. How can we know that we're on our way to heaven? Well, that's another question we hear sometimes. How can we know? I remember knocking on the door of a, a dear Catholic lady years ago that went to St. Francis Xavier Church in Stony Creek, and, and she had a little uh, amulet on that, that had one of the saints that she'd like to pray to, and, and, and I talked to her about that a little bit, and, and I said, let me ask you this. I said, in all your praying to this saint and, and all the times you go to church, and, and, you, and I said, do you know that you have a relationship with God, and do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? She says, can anybody really know that? And so she kept doing the things that she was doing, just hoping that she was good enough to go. I shared the verse with her from 1 John 5.13. These things have I written unto them that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You can know. What a wonderful assurance. We sing how great thou art because we know that we will see God one day and we can know him. You would never sing a song like that if you did not know for sure that God had saved you. Amen. You would think he was an angry, vengeful, just uh, God that was only concerned about justice. But when we know that Jesus forgave us of our sins by dying on a cross, we can sing, how great thou art. We can sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. What a wonderful foretaste of glory divine. But you know, the question that we often get is more of a negative type of question. And the question is often this, if there is a God, why is there so much pain and suffering in this world? I, I think philosophers and religious people and pastors and missionaries and all kinds of people around the world have tried to answer that question for eons. If there is really a God, why is there so much suffering? In the next 25 or 30 minutes, I, I probably won't answer it sufficiently enough for you. But I want to tell you this. All the suffering and pain and hurt that we see in the world today all started right here with a lie. In Genesis chapter 3, Eve closed her ears to God and believed a lie. And that's where it all started. All the sorrow, all the hurt, all the pain, all the suffering, all the shame, any negative thing, the, the hatred, the racism, the bigotry, all the things we see in this world today all started because of sin. It's all here. Not because there's a God, but because we refuse to acknowledge him as God. That's why we're in the mess we're in today. The question should not be, if there is a God, why is there so much suffering? But if there's a God, why aren't we listening to him? If there is a God, why aren't we worshiping him? If there is a God, why aren't we trusting him for eternal salvation? But I will seek for a few minutes to answer the question, why is there so much suffering? It all started with a lie. The first two chapters of the book of Genesis tell us how we got here. We see the creation of the world. 
We see the sun, the moon, and the stars hung into space. We see the earth formed and the waters separated from the land and vegetation and animals came upon the land. And then God created Adam and then Eve. And not only did he create the world for them, he created a garden for them. A place of paradise, separate from the rest of the world and had everything they needed. He said, of all the trees of the garden you may eat except for that one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Anything they wanted, they could have. The animals were subject to them. They could pet a lion upon its head and they named him. Think think about the the paradise they lived in. But in Genesis chapter 3, we see a different story emerge. A people who knew they were loved by God and fellowshiped with him daily and knowing that he provided for them and gave them instructions, somehow gave their ear to this serpent, Satan. And he told the first lie that was ever recorded in the scriptures. Now we know there were lies previous to this. When Satan is recorded in Isaiah, when Satan thought he was something, he lied to himself. I will ascend. No, he won't. But this is the first lie recorded among men. Ye shall not surely die. And so it began. All the sin, the pain, the suffering, the hatred, the racism, the wickedness, the bigotry, all of it started... When Eve believed a lie. You see, when we disregard what God says, and we choose to go our own way, and by the way, you have that choice. I'm not here to tell you today that you have to do anything. It is a choice that we must make. We must believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But the belief is something that must happen in your heart. I can't do it for you. Your parents cannot do it for you. Being born in a Christian family or being in a church today will not save you. It is a choice that you must make. And Eve made a choice to disobey God. And Eve's disregard for God's word, number one, led to sin. He said, well, all she did was listen to a lie. All she did was be deceived. Listen, friends, she knew the truth. She was accountable to the truth. She was accountable to the truth giver, God the Father. He had told her that she could take of any tree in the garden, but of that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she should not eat or she would surely die. And Satan lied and said, thou shalt not surely die. And Eve chose and plunged the world into sin. Notice what the Bible says about this Simple disobedience in this sin. And by the way, there's been an unraveling ever since. The Bible says evil men shall wax worse and worse. And once sin is in our hearts, it takes over and takes control. And and evil men just get worse. And we see that in our society. But notice what sin will come. Sorry, what causes, uh, what is caused by sin. With sin came, number one, pain. With sin came pain. Look at verse 16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. 
A word sorrow there means pain. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in thy conception, and I will greatly multiply thy pain. And women know what labor pains are. Just a, just a month or so ago, my daughter gave birth, and boy, boy, things have changed. When I was born, my dad wasn't even at the hospital. I remember the story of, of Walt Harvey telling me that when his, when his wife, some of you might remember Walt, when, when his wife went into labor the first time for the first child that they would have, he says, you didn't miss work in those days. He says, she told me she was in labor. He says, I left 50 cents on the kitchen table for her to catch the bus to the hospital. He says, because I could not miss work. He says, and my boss came to me about 15 minutes before the day was over and says, okay, you can leave early and go see your new baby. He said, that's the way it was. My dad wasn't at the hospital. I had to be in the delivery room. Boy, it's tough on a man today. But now, listen to this. I was in the delivery room with Emily, not when the baby was born, but right up until her contractions were right on top. Boy, that's hard for a dad to watch his daughter in that kind of pain, to watch your wife in that kind of pain. Labor is a difficult thing. Sorrow, the pain, all because of sin. But listen, I believe there's a bigger picture that God is painting for us here. Not only is there the pain of childbirth, but there's the sorrow that is passed on to those children. Think about that. Uh, you know, I, I've told you before about my family a little bit and genealogy and things that I study. My, my dad... My grandpa, my great-grandfather, George Fury, and my great-great-grandfather, Nelson Fury, the oldest of the bunch, lived to 62 years old. 62. That was Nelson. And every one of them, I'm not sure what, what George died of, but Nelson was dropsy of the heart. Grandpa was a heart attack. Dad was a heart attack. On and on it goes. The sorrow that has entered this world because of sin and, and God punishes to the fourth, third and fourth generation. Praise God, I'm the fifth. <laughs> but we wonder, why is that sorrow in the world? It all started back there. And it's just been passed on and passed on. You say, who has sinned, this, this boy or his father? Nobody. It's just the sorrow of sin. The hereditary nature of sin. Not only do we inherit a sin nature, we are no longer perfect in our bodies like Adam and Eve were. We, we, we are now born to die where they were born to be eternal. And we suffer, and, we, and we, uh, we're praying right now. If you, I was going to mention at the end of the service, if you haven't got the email or on the email list, Brother Jacob Trelore, who is the bass singer for the Faithman Quartet, and he plays the piano. Young man has a little boy, Liam. They just found out this week he has leukemia. And I mean, that was Wednesday, and literally by, by uh, Saturday, he'd already had surgery. He'd had a stroke because of a brain bleed from treatment and all the rest. I mean, just really going through it, this little, little boy. You say, who, did that little boy sin? Nobody is suffering from the sorrow of sin. Every child born into this world, unfortunately, has a sin nature. And we suffer. You see, why is there so much pain and suffering in this world? I, you know, I, I was born in the church, and I was raised in the church, and I was saved when I was just a child, and I've always lived for Jesus Christ, and yet here I am suffering and in pain and in sorrow. It's not necessarily because of you, but it's because of sin. There's sin in this world. 
and has been for 6,000 years. With sin came pain. With sin came a penalty. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. That hasn't changed. This year, so many farmers lost their crops from burning up. So many are struggling with the drought that we had earlier in the summer. Thorns also and thistles shall bring it forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou reign, or till thou return unto the ground, for thou out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. They may not have died instantly, but the promise was made, to dust thou shalt return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. I'm not going to go into all of it, but you can see penalty after penalty after penalty for their sin. I'm going to read just a passage to you this morning from Romans chapter 5 that will reinforce this very same passage in verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. In other words, you didn't have to sin just like Adam, but we were sinners nonetheless. Who is the figure of him that was to come? But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. And let me put it this way as Romans chapter 5 shares with us this story. He says, it is by one man, Adam, sin entered the world in death by sin. And he was just a figure of what was to come. All of us have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. We'll get to it a little deeper in just a moment. But the passage always hints, also hints of the Lord Jesus Christ. That by his death and resurrection we too shall live. And be free from sin. So we see that Eve's disregard for God's word led to sin. But it also led to shame. It also led to shame. Shame has a couple different meanings. And it's interesting to me today that. As people fall deeper and deeper into sin, it seems they have less and less shame. They really do. But that's not what this word shame means. Not, not at least the way I'm using it or the way the Bible projects it. In Genesis chapter 3, we see in verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. 
And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the tree of the garden. Let me ask you something. Why did they hide themselves? Well, they're ashamed because they're naked. No, they weren't. They covered themselves. The very last verse of Genesis chapter 2 says, And they were naked and were not ashamed. It was not their nakedness that shamed them before God. It was their sin that caused them to be ashamed to stand before God. If nakedness was the problem, they had covered it up. They had sewn fig leaves together and they covered it. But here's the truth about sin. When we sin, we can no longer stand before God. We cannot go to his presence. We are separated from him. And all they wanted to do was hide from him. Listen, friend, if you are unsaved today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't have that wonderful privilege of knowing God's presence. But the moment I got saved, I was covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And now I can go boldly into the throne room of grace, into the very presence of God, unashamed. Not because I'm anything, but because he's everything. Because his blood was sufficient to pay the price for my sins. I'm cleansed and I'm covered. And God looks upon me and sees only his son. You notice the thing that God did for them? He created for them a covering. He slew an animal as a picture of a sacrifice for us. Something had to die. Blood had to be shed. And he took those skins and he covered them as a picture of a restored relationship. You know, shame will keep us from the presence of God. And the shame I'm talking about is not embarrassment. I'm talking about a nakedness before God that says I cannot go into his presence. Every child of God here today will tell you this, how important it is to know his presence. There are times, there are times in this life where we'll be walking along and say, well, I, I, just, I just don't know that he's there. Trust me. But there are times in sorrow when the comforter draws near and you can just feel his presence and know he is there. There are times in the prayer closet where he reaches down and touches your heart. There are times where maybe you're listening to a song and God begins to move and tears come to your eyes. He is always there, but there are times where he draws nearer. For he says, draw nigh to me, and I'll draw nigh to you. But shame will keep us from the very presence of God. Eve's disobedience, thirdly today, caused separation. Right at the end of the chapter, we see as part of the curse or part of the penalty, they were put out from the garden. The Bible says he drove out the man in verse 24 and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. He said, why? Eden was a place of God's blessing. Adam didn't have to till the ground in Eden. The Bible says they were to keep the garden, but he didn't have to till the ground. There was no thorns and thistles. They could just walk around and take an apple, take a peach, take a pear. Everything was provided. It was a place of God's blessing. 
But here's the other thing. It was also the path to the tree of life. God said, lest they take of the tree of life and eat forever, we must move them out of here. And God drove them out of the garden, separated from God. I don't know if that sufficiently answers your question today. If there is a God, why is there so much pain and sorrow and suffering? It's not because there's a God. It's because we've chose to be separate from God because of our sin and our shame. But here's the good news. In Genesis chapter 3, God says you need a Savior. Somebody can restore this relationship. And in verse 15, we see the very first prophecy or the very first promise that a Savior would come. And he says this, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. He's talking to Satan. I'm going to make you enemies. I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed, all that you represent, all the demons of hell, all the evil and the wickedness in this world. I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed. Now listen what her seed will do. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. I don't know about you, I'd rather have a, a heel injury than a head injury any day. I like, I like how the songwriter put it, it'll crush the serpent's head. I like that. Listen, the Bible says that one day death and hell will give up their dead and Satan, the old accuser of the saints, will be cast into the lake of fire. Why? Because Jesus won. Because the victory was complete on the cross of Calvary. The Bible prophesies in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 of the seed of a woman that will come. And if you will read the genealogies of Matthew, you will find that it goes all the way back to Adam. And says, of this seed, we have Jesus. Jesus who would die upon a cross and pay the price of our sins. I'm going to take you back to Romans chapter 5 this morning. We won't be just a minute longer. And notice what it says in that same chapter where it says, as by sin, one, or as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. But listen what it says before that. Verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed. Sin causes shame. But hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were without strength in due time, listen, Christ died for the ungodly. Oh yes, Satan would bruise his heel. He would die on a Roman cross. He would suffer in shame and agony and bear the sins of the world. But it would only bruise his heel because he would rise from the grave triumphant over death and hell with the keys of both in his hands. And notice what he says. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us. While, thou, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God promised that devil all the way back in the garden, even one day, the seed of a woman's coming and he will crush your head. Oh, you'll bruise his heel. And you'll think you have the victory, but he will win. Amen. 
Friends, I might be being very simplistic here this morning, but listen, it just comes down to this. What side are you on? Who are you going to choose? You can choose a savior, or you can choose the liar, the deceiver, Satan. Well, I'm, going to, I'm just going to keep living as I'm living and hope it's good enough. You're deceived. You've got this idea that you shall not surely die. God would never send me to a crisis eternity. I'll never go to hell. That's, that's believing the same lie that Satan told all those years ago. There, there, there's something far worse than a physical death. It's called the second death. Or whosoever is not found written in the Lamb's book of life shall be cast in the lake of fire. Friends, do you know Jesus today? I believe that God makes us the very same promise. He promises a Savior. Whosoever believeth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, the Genesis story is not all that different from ours. We are all sinners. And because of sin, we suffer the pain and the penalty of sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. If you don't know Jesus, we all carry shame. We cannot stand before a holy God. Oh, one day you will. Matthew chapter 7 said that many will come. And they'll say, have we not prophesied in thy name and cast out demons in thy name? And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They will stand with shame before God. We all will face separation. If you're not saved today, you'll be eternally removed from God's presence. And every last one of us need a Savior. I said that verse earlier just a moment ago, for the wages of sin is death, but here's how it ends. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What side are you on? You can continue to believe a lie, or you can trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior today. Let's bow our heads for a moment. We're just about finished, and I won't keep you long. Let me ask you, do you know Jesus as your Savior? I'll be honest, I try to present a message that shared the gospel, and I, I feel like I, I blow it every time. And I'm, I'm just asking God that he'll take my alphabet soup and, and try to turn it into something sensible for you. But the bottom line is this. Sin has caused a lot of problems in this world. Suffering, pain, hopelessness. But the thing that concerns us the most today is that it has condemned us to hell. We're lost without a Savior. But you can be saved today. Jesus Christ paid for your sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That life is yours today if you'll just call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Repent of everything else you believed. Well, I think, I think I'm good enough to go to heaven. You need to repent of that. I think I go to church faithfully. That'll get me to heaven. No, no, you need to repent of that. And trust only in Jesus Christ who died for your sins. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus took care of it. He paid that price. So that all who believe could spend eternity with him. 
He's restoring that which was lost, but you must come to him in faith. Let's stand to our feet this morning. The piano's going to begin to play. Well, let me help you today. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are still closed. If there's one, say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. Let us help you. Don't leave this place without knowing for sure you know Jesus. Let us help you today. Would you slip up your hand and let me pray for you? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call your name. I promise you I won't do that. Is there one? Pastor, would you pray for me? Christians, would you pray? Let me say this. I understand that we have what we call an altar call. People come and pray. If God has spoke to your heart, you may come and pray now. And if you're, if you're new to the church here or only been here a short time, that might seem odd to you. It's kind of an old-fashioned thing, and I, and I understand that. And so maybe it's not in your nature to walk an aisle and, and to meet people up here at the front or to do something publicly. Can I say, number one, don't you miss out on Jesus because of pride. But number two, would you come speak to me after? That's the whole purpose of our barbecue today so that we can just spend some time with you and get to know you and, and uh, share the gospel with you if you need to be saved. Please don't leave here without knowing.